Wow. Hey, man. What's up? What's up, <laughs> what's up, what's up Seppo? Um, I already spoiled it, but hello. Uh, episode 7 of The Buzz is going to be taking place in a rather uh, peculiar... Uh, it's an Airbnb that you're staying at. We are at the uh, Green Mountain Championships in Vermont, uh, and I'm with Seppo Paiu, one of my, actually, I'm going to say top three favorite Frisbee throwers ever. Uh, and I think I say that about everybody that I <laughs> I interview uh, on this show, but uh, genuinely am a huge fan of your Frisbee mind. And, and disc golf diehards, please don't be alarmed at my use of the word Frisbee because that's something that me and Seppo both love is just yes. the toy yeah. of the Frisbee. So we're going to dive into this and we're going to talk about where Seppo comes from and um, you know how he has maintained his passion for this for a lot longer than a lot of people have been around. So what's up, dude? How you, how you doing? I'm doing very good. We are here in Jeffersonville, more specifically, mm-hmm. uh, probably about 10 minutes away from the course and I'm chilling. We've been, or I've been back in the States since Worlds, so over a month now. And uh, really feeling good. Game is getting together, and I'm feeling pretty good. Sweet. And I and I know me and you, um, we talk periodically about you know random bits of disc golf and uh, check in with each other from time to time. And I know that you um, actually, <laughs> you and I both played around together in Estonia recently, both fried out of our minds, not on drugs or alcohol. We were very burnt out and uh, shared a, a few funny laughs together on the course. Um, and uh, it, it's nice to hear that you're kind of snapping out of it a little bit and figuring it out. Everything going good? I know you took a little bit of a break for a while. You're feeling pretty good? Yes, totally. Uh, I didn't necessarily even feel like I was burned out. I honestly just thought that a pressure got the best of me. And uh, several things, though, kind of took my game off for a little bit. But I, I knew what I needed to do. And it's I'm not at my 100% yet, but I'm happy that I'm getting there and there's only small things about my game at the moment that are not where i need them to be mm-hmm. but still uh there ain't no big issues anymore. yeah yeah <laughs> there ain't no big issues you've been <laughs> yes. hanging out with kevin jones a little bit too much <laughs> um but anyway yeah it's, it's funny we talk about burnout and and things that we're going through now but it's crazy that we've been playing this game for so long i've been playing for 17 years and how long have you been throwing been a, playing, throwing a disc for i've been doing it very actively for 13 years mm-hmm. since 2006 but my dad's been playing since two, uh 1979 so i've always been around frisbees and always known how to throw them so it was a little bit easier for me to start it off that's actually exactly what i was going to get into because for you i i think your story and where you come from is completely different from so many people that get into the the sport of disc golf in the states um number one you started playing in europe and then also number two you were born pretty much into a frisbee family that was correct yeah i've i've been to a frisbee tournaments already back in 90s 97 i went to sweden with my dad to play uh he, he wanted to play Swedish disc open and like bunch of tournaments i've always been around it he too he kind of quit it when i was young so for about five to almost ten yeah five years probably it was pretty quiet for him but i i was a lot around it all of my life and and the rest of your family plays too i remember i actually played with your brother in estonia as well yeah my um, brothers play my dad plays my sister plays a lot actually currently plays tournaments almost every huh. week uh 
my older sister doesn't really play. She plays once a year. We have this mm-hmm. Christmas doubles thing. But she still plays, and yeah. she still and is so a- does my mom. My mom also started back in seventies and played Finnish championships and stuff like that. That's so nutty. Like I, we don't have. We're starting to see more of them as our generation. That you know, we, we have such a big demographic in like the you know early twenties to late thirties. You know, demographic and starting to have kids and and raise these kids as disc golfers, which is which is crazy to think about but big question i actually had for you because of the fact that everybody in your family was familiar with frisbee right from the get-go and you played you know probably played catch all the time and you played disc golf and whatnot um what what is it like what is your childhood like growing up in a frisbee family like is it because frisbee is something that most people find out later in life yeah and it's their secret thing that they have i have a pretty good answer to this actually because it wasn't the like the dominant thing in the family. It was like a thing we all knew about. My dad played it when I was really young, so I remembered it. We had a closet full of frisbees, probably closer to a hundred frisbees, and they were always there next to the footballs and soccer balls and tennis rackets, and always loved seeing them there. They were interesting. They had cool pictures, uh, stuff like that. So it was definitely an interesting thing for me. It wasn't the dominant thing in in our family at the time. Uh, until 2006 and uh, but still it was around we had a basket even mm-hmm. all of my life we had a basket wow. on the yard uh, my my two year when I turned two my uh, birth, birthday gift was a mini frisbee basket that was made of two ultimate discs <laughs> and between them there was chains. oh for real that's yes. amazing yeah when I turned two that's I still have it that to me is like uh, it's so it's becoming more common, like I said, but a childhood where where, where frisbees and di- and like golf discs and all sorts of different types of flying circles are normal for you. Yeah, that's a normal. That's right alongside the footballs, right alongside the soccer balls. Yeah. So you grew up already thinking that this was just a thing, just like everything else. Yeah. You know, whereas in you know the states, it still has that very counterculture vibe of like it's kind of like not seen as a real thing or an established sport, but was it, did you have friends that grew up in the same like type no. of household? Like was Frisbee huge for all your other friends no. or were you kind of the odd? No, I was kind of the oddball for sure because it was specifically Frisbee that my dad played mm-hmm. and the disc golf basket, even on the yard was kind of a weird thing for me. So it was Frisbee. So he was an overall player. He was an overall player. Freestyle, double disc. Yeah. MTA. Mainly MTA and TRC were his things. He did the, those the most mm-hmm. and just played catch and he has held probably if i had to guess about 50 tournaments himself he was part Whoa. of the finnish frisbee association he had his own club one of the bigger frisbee clubs in in the country when he was uh, young in in uh, 70s and early 80s but uh yeah it kind of changed though because it was small frisbee was nothing really mm-hmm. and in 2006 when i started the reason why I started was because I saw a ad on newspaper that they sell disc golf discs now, and I was like, "Really? Like they do that still? Like it's that like a real thing now?" Because my dad was like playing, you know, it was it didn't seem still it was still in the really small huh. scales where I remember it, and I was so young. And then it came up. I went to YouTube and saw that they are playing like competitive disc golf, throwing amazing shots, 
keeping score, they're professional, there's commentator, and this was European Championships 2005 video that I happened to see, and which who was, was awesome. That? Who was in that? Who, who there the... was Jesper Lundmark. That's who it was. Marcus Tjellström, mm-hmm. Timo Pursio from Finland, and there was under something. Under something, I don't remember his name, last name. I watched the same video. Yeah, in two thousand and six, that yeah. blew my mind. That the sport that I thought was like this secret thing, to, you know, to me as I think I was like, you know, thirteen or fourteen. Yeah. Getting, you know, at the time, like people were like Marcus was. How do you pronounce it? Last is it Schallstrom? Schallstrom. That dude was ripping the disc back in yes. the day, and and it was like that to me mixed with my first video of seeing like Schwebby and Climo and Steve Rico. And there, it was like a, even a, I think it was a pre YouTube video that I saw it just as a kid. It like your yeah. imagination just explodes. Like, yeah. You, uh, okay. I knew about frisbee, but I didn't know that you could throw 400 feet down this tunnel and turn at 300 feet to the right. Yeah. It's, it's like frisbee is diff- very different from disc golf. And that blew my mind. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's so funny. Like um, when you come from having the toy frisbees that you have growing up, you know, they're only capable of so much. Yes. They're capable of a lot. Yeah, but there's something about a golf disc, especially like a, a real neutral medium stability golf disc yes. that you can just do some crazy stuff with. Um, I, I so then in 2006, you you. That's when your passion started for frisbee, that's or you where, always loved it. That's or? where I saw. Yeah, that's to me. It was pretty much nothing other than I was able to do it and I liked it. But it never was like a, like I'm gonna do this because it didn't. It wasn't nothing. It, it was nothing. Like there was nothing around it. There was no videos, or at least I didn't know about. Yeah. So when I got to know about disc golf, that really was like like immediately as I saw the you video, it. I loved it. Like. I pretty much decided in the moment where I saw it the first time that this is what I'll be doing. That is so... uh, I can't fathom it growing up in the States. I cannot. Because in our courses... You walk out there, you know, especially if you you get excited about it and you want to bring your one of your parents. You see a bunch of people with their shirts off, you know, walking around with six packs of beer. And they didn't. Did they really have that at all in in Finland? Or not so much. Not like that. The first time I went to really play disc golf was in two thousand and six. I went with my brother and my dad. And then on the first hole were two others that actually turned out to be my friends in the future. They were way older friends, but they showed us the course. And this course was probably about three or four miles away from my house, 12 holes, still played. I actually got to redesign it this last year. It was awesome. Wow, project. full it's, circle. Yeah, super cool course. And uh, yeah, they showed it. And uh, no, it was really small, not many players. That was one of the two courses mm-hmm. that the city had at the time. Now we have about 20. And uh, yeah, it was really professional for me. Like it didn't seem like a beer sport or... You know? Yeah, and, and and the fact that even you as a kid, and I think it probably has something to do with the fact that you grew up with frisbees in your closet. Like you just thought, like, oh yeah, I can do this. I, I'll just be a frisbee player. I don't really yeah. know how, but I'm going to be a professional. And that's so that started early. My my big question, actually, that I want to bleed that into because you say that I listen to a lot of golf podcasts, and uh, you know, there's a podcast, uh, Golf Science Lab, that I listen to. Um, and he does a very similar thing, but with golf pros, you know, talking to them about their journey, how they get to the point that they get to, how they improve or, you know, how they got to the pro level. And he found, and, and I've found from listening that 
um, specialization in sports at such a young age can be detrimental to kids, you know, and, and a lot of the good golfers were multi-sport athletes as a kid mm-hmm. and they transferred those, you know, multiple skills that they took from other sports and transferred them in, into golf. Did you play anything else when you were a kid or was it Frisbee nonstop? No, no. Uh, until I started playing disc golf, I had two big things that I was really into. I started skateboarding when I was like eight. What is this thing with disc golfers and skateboarding? I, I think I'm know. the only one who can't kickflip. <laughs> yeah. I, what? I was always better at heel flip, though. <laughs> I heel flipped pretty good. I think I missed I missed something. There's. I'm a horrible skateboarder, and I, I sat at a table but right before I came here with... I think five disc golfers, four of them were skateboarders. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Interesting. It's okay. interesting. Yeah, uh, so that was my main thing first. I, I played soccer and uh, this sport called floorball before I started uh, skateboarding, and that was I was really into it for like three years. I was playing floorball on the side the whole time because that was my family's number one thing. What is that? Floorball. So it's like it's kind of like hockey, but you don't have like any helmets or anything you don't have skates you're just on the ground and uh it's it's sweden's natural or uh national sport actually so it's it's very big in scandinavia and in europe but it's not a thing here so yeah it's ice hockey here yeah ice hockey but it's it's a little different from that but basically same rules okay and and that was your your big that was my after skateboarding that's what i did for probably four years like I was wanting to be the best that like, for everything I've done skateboarding. I always wanted to be the best. Mm-hmm. Like I did everything I could in that, and then floorball was the same thing. I was just trying to be the best, and then I find disc golf in 2006. I was still playing floorball mm-hmm. for a couple of years after, but then I dropped that and started playing only disc golf. My my, and going back to my my, and I'm. I don't mean to put all the other sports that you played like aside, yeah. but I, I need to know you were passionate about skateboarding. Yes. What is it? And I have my own theory of why that skateboarders and disc golfers like kind of go hand in hand. What is it fr- from skateboarding that you feel like transfers really well into disc golf or what, what, do the, what do the communities have in common? Um, well, the skill wise, it's the satisfaction of doing something the way you want to. And yeah, I would say that's the biggest similarity. It's very challenging, just as throwing frisbee, especially if you're throwing down the tunnel or something. So satisfaction of uh, doing something great, and then uh, community-wise, I was so young that I really couldn't get into the like, you know, squads. Makes of, sense. Like kids smoking cigarettes and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But definitely skateboarding is, yeah kind of like hanging out and stuff like that not as much as disc golf honestly yeah but disc golf has similarities in that too yeah i always the more i meet i almost feel like i know more disc golfers that skateboard than don't skateboard and it, yeah. it's strange to me but they all transferred into disc golf and stuck with it right um but it's almost like um this beautiful thing that i've i've been witnessing and i've watched i actually am fascinated by skateboarding i i don't do it but i really love the idea of it and i love the idea of tricks evolving you know like somebody yeah. does it you know uh, rodney mullen does the kickflip right yeah. and then that spurred a million different variations of the kickflip the moment they got that on video and you know things like that 
and forgive me, skateboard historians, if I blew the Rodney <laughs> Mullen reference. I don't, I don't know if he is the creator, he, right? He is. It has created a lot of tricks, and he is probably, in my opinion, the best, especially still. And he still does. He did a TED talk, and it's on YouTube. And I highly recommend it to anyone that's listening to this that wants an inspiring, um, you know, TED talk to listen to that applies to disc golf, and, and it's about innovation. And I think disc golf is the same way. I think the moment somebody shows that a shot is possible. Everyone starts thinking about it. Yeah. Everyone's like, yeah. ah. If somebody sees that, okay, that's been done. Exactly. It gets so much easier. Exactly. And now with all the coverage that we have, and I know skateboarding is so big about like filming everybody doing their own little style. Yeah. I think it's so cool now that we have so much coverage to like show these kids. And, and now we have kids in Finland. They're all throwing the same. Yeah. They're throwing incredible. Yeah, and, they really are. And, and the game is going to be pushing, I think, it's going to be exponentially growing because of it. So I think it's so cool. Definitely. It's going to be, kids are just going to get better faster because they're going to see things that are that the top players are able to do so they can expect that to happen. But for us, those same amazing shots were about 100 feet shorter. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So that was the best we could even expect. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then the equipment got, you know, the equipment evolved. Yeah. And then for a while, the you know, with all these fast drivers that were coming out, we were throwing very similar shots. And then it, it, these days, it's looking like people are throwing those 12, 13 speed discs like fairway drivers. Yeah. You know, it's crazy how it's continuing to evolve. And we'll, we'll get to the shot optimization in, in a bit, but I want to keep going with this. You, you, um, did not specialize in, in Frisbee early. You actually played a bunch of sports. Yes. Hockey, skateboarding. And now 2006 happens and you're a Frisbee player. Yeah. And, did you get good fast? Did you struggle for a while? What What is the... I, I did get pretty good pretty fast. I wasn't amazing. I I just loved it, though. Like, I just... I did it only for the joy. I didn't do it because I wanted money or anything. I just did Sponsors, it. right? Yeah, no. Yeah. I There wasn't even any. Like, that exactly. was not on my mind. Like Especially no. in Finland, right? Yeah. Like, it was... I, yeah, I only cared about throwing, honestly. There was nothing else... Uh, but yeah, I got decent, uh, like the first and second year. Well, it ha- I guess it did happen pretty fast. 2009, I was playing very competitively already and got third in Finnish Junior Championships, which was pretty good for me at the moment. Yeah. So three years got pretty good, but not the best in Finland in juniors. But in 2010 was where it happened. Like I switched from 950 to 1,000 rated player. So I was 15 years old when I got to 999. In 2010? Yes. And that and that 50 point jump? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, and uh, I got the USDCC spot when I was 15. I played 1044 at European Championships average for 5 rounds. Whoa. At, at 15. What was your game like at 15? I'm curious. Like what cuz Ke- Kevin Jones when I interviewed him said that he had a like a 350 foot sidearm, not great backhand and he could make putts. Yeah. I I was thrown I've always been a pretty far thrower except when i was really young like 11 12 but when i grew up a little bit i 2010 i was probably throwing 500 feet <laughs> at age 15 yeah all right and what was the 500 feet was it was it a hyzer flip it was up max, push? it was probably a max distance like i could do it somewhat consistently but i i definitely was able to break 500 feet more than Every once in a while. Okay, so so you you got by on courses. Were you able to throw like I I 
I geek out over your crazy late shot shaping and late in the flight shot shaping. Were you doing that or even did you even know that was a thing when yeah. you were that young or so, were you just throwing like very basic lines? So I started pretty much on my yard. Like we have, we, I can throw up to 250, 280 on my yard, like all different lines and we have a bunch of trees and mm-hmm. uh, slopes and basket and cool stuff. That's really what I did the most. Like probably 80% of my time I spent on the yard and 20% at the course and putters and mids mainly for the first couple of years. Huh, okay. And uh, but, but for this, for shot shaping, what blew my mind was because I was young and everything obviously was turning left. Yeah. And just there was this one clip, Timo Pursio, the Finnish guy, I've, he's I've one watched. of the best players from Finland of all time. Uh, he threw this shot on hole three in European Championships on this walk path that turns right mm-hmm. at about 300 feet. Mm-hmm. And he threw it hyzer. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that's trouble. It's fading OB. And then at 300 feet, it flips and starts riding on that walk path and slides on the walk path too. I'm like, what happened? Like, that's not real. But that's what I'm saying. Now, you as, and how old were you at the time? You said At the time, I saw that shot first when I was 11, mm-hmm. but it stuck in my mind and probably a year later I was able to figure that thing out. Uh-huh. But until then I was like, how did It was burned into your memory. It was burned. It's the, I, I still see it every night. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm telling you, like, and, and people who are listening to this, like, go watch live disc golf. Yes. Be, you're not going to be seen as like a geeky fan or anything. Just go watch someone that you respect on a course that is demanding and you'll see things that really will open your eyes to what shot shaping really can be. Yeah. And as a kid, like, so, so you were learning, you were a sponge at the time. Yes. I was learning about everything that I possibly could. I really just was curious. I was amazed by it. And I just wanted to be able to do that stuff and just enjoy throwing. And that, that really was my only motivation. I only enjoyed throwing, honestly. So, so that, and that, I wasn't going to get into this right away, but it's such a fascinating concept that I was talking to somebody about the other day. We have this game of golf that we're playing, right? And we have uh, people winning golf, these disc golf tournaments that don't shape the prettiest lines, you know? Uh, shout outs huge to Matt Bell at, um, you know, Delaware. I've played with Matt many times. What is he a great player? Uh-huh. He's a sick player. Yeah. Would I put him in my top five, you know, top ten for backhand or sidearm? No. But so that here's what I'm saying. Like we, we have someone that just gets the job done and golfs and yeah. scores. Mm-hmm. And then we have someone like you who is legitimately just floored and fascinated by the flight of a disc. Was that hard for you once you were so obsessed with that shot shaping uh, meta to then harness that and put it towards you know optimizing score? No, because that was just as much of the passion as the shot shaping. For me, it was all about competing, going the weeklies every week, just trying to beat everybody. Like I was, so just, you were competitive too. I was just as much about that as about the shot shaping. So it was just as important to me. It's the perfect storm. <laughs> it's the perfect storm. Um, you know, th- that's what. 
that that's the the fascination that I have. We see so many players where you know sometimes they these players pop off these ridiculous scores, and you're like, I don't know how you did that. <laughs> yeah. And then you see some people, and you're like, I don't know how you're not scoring well. Yeah. You throw ridiculous. Yeah. So it, it's it's a crazy, uh, especially when you look at advanced players or juniors players. You know, yeah. people coming up that are trying to go pro. It's the fine balance between scoring and and like frisbee playing. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What, what was what was harder for you? What like becoming obviously? I don't know what your ranking is in Europe now, but you were number one. Are you still number I'm one? I'm still number one because there hasn't been a ranking update, but I'll probably drop to number two. Just because you took a break and yeah, and I I played a couple actually yeah a couple really weak tournaments, mm-hmm. and even these last two has been below my rating. Okay. Well, with that said, you're number one in Europe, which is insanely impressive. Um, what was, you know, I guess getting to that point, was there a roadblock that you hit, um, like in regards to, to the, the throwing and the scoring, or was it was it the optimization and actually putting the numbers on the board? It was both. Uh, well, for me, it's kind of like they go hand in hand. Like I just focus on my throwing and i just know that if i if my throwing's good i have no trouble scoring mm-hmm. and i'm i think i'm pretty smart about the lines and decisions so that was never really i guess mm-hmm. that was the easier thing for yeah. me but throwing of course we're still just throwing frisbees it can never it, it's like not easy it's still difficult uh, obviously it's easier for some than others mm-hmm. but i find my difficulties and especially in mm-hmm. 2013 when i went to army mm-hmm. I forgot about that. You did. Yeah. That. It's a, is it a requirement in Finland? Yeah. I see. And I went to Army and didn't really have time to practice. And then when I did, I really didn't feel like practicing. And uh, yeah, after that, I was thrown so bad. I got 23rd in Finnish championships, which is really bad for me. I was, I had won the Finnish championships two years before and got like third the year after. So it was really bad, and I was like freaking out almost. I remember throwing some shots on my yard with my putters, like re-blocking them like way to the right, and I was just like... But I remember that moment when I had that huge grip block on my yard. I was like, no, it's your time to relax. Really just start over. Mm-hmm. like Kind of like where I was a month ago or two months ago. I remember. I was like, you just got to relax now. Just start enjoying what you're doing hit the practice field because that's what it takes mm-hmm. you gotta practice uh, it's it's not a gimme uh, and it's okay it doesn't have to be a gimme mm-hmm. you gotta be working and you, but you gotta relax you gotta believe in what you're doing because this is the only way out of it it, it, it can feel aimless when you're starting to struggle a little bit and especially in disc golf we don't have like financial stability you know I mean there's a few and, mm-hmm. and you might and I we don't even need to get into that but it's not as much as pro golfers, no. you know, like my, my question for you, um, that, that I was thinking of, it, you do a lot of field work yeah. and, and whenever something doesn't feel right, you hit the field and I'll, I know a lot of pros and, and contrary to popular belief, a lot of pros don't do field work anymore. When you're on the road, like you go out there, you drive to the course, you practice the course, you play the tournament. That's your practice. Yeah. And that's a large percentage of players. How do you structure your fieldwork sessions? Like, do you just chuck in an open field? Like, I'm a, you know, I'm a huge component, uh, component. That's not 
the word for it. I'm an advocate <laughs> for structuring fieldwork sessions. Um, mm. And whenever I do lessons, I always talk to them about drills or things that they do. Do you do anything like that? Yeah, I definitely structure it a little bit. I don't go like very specific. I always have an idea. Do I want to throw putters or mids or drivers? What angles do I want to practice the most? It pretty much goes by what the issue is at the moment. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that's it. I probably... Currently, I go more to the field than to the course, and it's been like that probably for the last couple of years. So you're you're probably one of the more um, practiced players then, because I, I know, I think Eric Oakley does quite a bit of field work, and it's obviously been showing for him this year. Um, and you said the past couple of years you've been just doing a lot more. Do you yeah. use cones or anything like that? Or I do sometimes, but I, I go by like goal posts or or seats or walls or anything really some sort of reference point to, to definitely see what you're, you're definitely um so then moving forward you you are having some breakthroughs when did you win you're like what a seven time finnish national champion or no something? i'm only two time finnish finnish uh, well, champion but i have me. <laughs> i have won the finnish uh tour finnish bro tour several times That's i think three or four so all that together we're getting close to seven <laughs> Yeah, we'll just put it at that. I'm yeah. still right. Thank you. Um, but but uh, getting getting to that point, um, you're watching Finnish disc golf explode as you're still yeah. winning. And the the I went over there this year and it blew my mind. Yeah, it absolutely rocked me to my core. There's so many young kids yeah. in Finland now that are so good. And it's it's pretty crazy. This year was the first year when it really showed like amazingly. I think if those guys showed up to mm-hmm. USA, we would see a lot of Europeans being top ten, like all the time. Or if Evelina and Henna just moved to the US. Yeah. If you're listening to this, please <laughs> do it. Yeah. Like a lot of people should really think about it. And a lot of sponsors should really be thinking about supporting that because mm-hmm. those Finnish kids, uh, Evelina and Henna, and also the guys, they're amazing and they can really be doing this professionally. Incre- incredibly. In- and, they really are incredible. And perfect to bleed into this that you say that. Um, you actually, we were at the players' party of, I think it was the Estonian Open. You told me um, we have such a serious disc golf culture in Finland and, and really just Europe in general. But how many do you really think play, teach, promote disc golf full time for a living in Europe? You said it's a lower number than you'd think. Yeah, I mean it's Simon and I. Vaino Mäkelä is playing now, mm-hmm. like his full time. Other than that, Jalle uh, Stur either it plays or teaches. Does a lot of lessons, right? Yes, lessons is his main income. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's less than five that play or teach professionally. And that b- absolutely blew me away <laughs> because because we look in the states and like we got Frank with his bulldog Billy and he's got a huge case of beer that he's yeah. walking around with and that's disc golf in the states for most of the courses but in Finland I got to Est- the Estonia course on like a Tuesday and there's just like young kids training yeah. <laughs> on the basket. I'm like it's the middle of the day on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And they that's what they do. Yeah. But there's only five professional players. Yeah. What is that? It is because it's just the culture. Like America is all about living free and stuff like that. And 
the weather here, at least partly of the country, is nicer too than in, in Finland. So you can kind of be living in the car and stuff like that, which isn't really possible in Finland. And uh, But yeah, it's really just the mentality of, you know, here in the States, living free. And that's not in Finland. People want to be making money, like mm-hmm. for sure. They need to have an education and they want to work. And that's what parents make them do, mm-hmm. kind of. And they feel like they need to do that. And they also Finnish people, in my opinion, are sometimes a little bit too pessimistic. Is okay. that is that right? No, pessimistic? it's definitely like like cynical or dry, like dry pessimistic. Yes, I know exactly they are, what you mean. They are maybe not so much of dreamers. I see. And that's that really. They're content uh, with where they're at, and they just want to follow the path. And yeah, they are not willing to take the risk. Mm. And and I think it you know it has something to do. And it's funny like. I think a lot of people in the states, you know, not necessarily glorify, but there's a lot of things in Finland that are amazing. You know, the fact that you can go to the doctor for free, you can go to college for free. There's all these amazing things, but it's so funny to hear on the other side of the coin like, you know, it's not all, you know, the grass is not always greener. I think there's pluses and minuses and yeah. um clearly, you know, for disc golf like that's that's a sad thing. There's so much talent over there. I wish we could fly all well, of them over here. At least for now, it's still been like pretty small that you really got to be amazing mm-hmm. in order to be able to do it. I think within the next five years, we're going to see a good amount of Europeans of pro up players. there because the sport is grow. It has now pretty honestly within the last two years or three years, it's grown enough that it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Like I started touring in 2016 kind of more honestly myself. Yeah. Are you, are you, living here full-time or are you still in finland or um, I, I live in finland i don't have a house or any really permanent place to stay in the states but i'm here a little bit more than half of the season okay like half of the year over six months okay and and um are you ever planning on moving here full-time at all or do you do you still like finland as much as you said there's like a an issue that you have with no i love little finland. things like, okay i love finnish people finnish people are amazing uh they are, even though they might be a little bit more negative in mm-hmm. certain ways than Americans, they are still very positive people and they're happy people. Finland was actually, uh, with a study, uh, proven to be the happiest country in the world, which I don't know if it's true or not, but however. Uh, you seem like kind of a happy guy. I'm, I'm just going to judge guy. the entire well, country by you. Well, it's <laughs> that might be interesting because you say that, to some people, I certainly don't seem like a super happy guy, because mm-hmm. I—that's just how my culture is, you know. Yeah. I don't—I don't know how to, if like, react to certain things. Like, I'm not a huge laugher. Like, I don't laugh so much, like out loud. Or it makes me feel good about making me laugh. <laughs> oh, I got you. I got you know. You. But it's just how we are. I'm happy, but I might not seem so happy. That—that's just how Finnish people are, kind of. Yeah, the thing I, I really liked. Um, I, I liked, and I'm going to bring it up in the podcast because I, I appreciate it about you. You're very honest. You're very blunt. And and uh, we tried doing a podcast earlier at Maple Hill, and we were supposed to do it at 7 p.m. I got out, out of my round at like 6.45, and you're like, all right, ready to go? And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not. And the thing that I – and it made me feel terrible, but the, the thing I, I really respected about you was the fact that you were like, dude, I took time out of my day to do this podcast with you. That's not okay. And but but I knew coming from you that it was just you being a, a friend and you being yeah. you know straight up honest with me and here we are and we're uh, yeah. 
rocking it. So I appreciate you, uh, doing this for, for real. But, um, after all the, you know, things that we've talked about and I really, I really love what we've gotten to talk about, especially about finished disc golf and bringing to light the fact that there's a reason why we we're not seeing them, you know, all the pros coming here full time. Like it's kind of a give and take, and there's not a lot of people making a living at disc golf over in Europe, but, um, I want to move into a more abstract topic as we kind of, uh, close this out, um, for a bit. You are one of my favorite backhand throwers that throws a Frisbee backhand. You were talking earlier about a shot that Timu Persio, is that his name? Mm-hmm. You were talking about a shot that he threw that, like, you know, laser beam, hyzer flip that slid down a path. After all this time and after all the things that I've seen you do with a Frisbee, you know, uh, your tee shot selection on hole 18 at Maple Hill is one of those that crazy, you know, push hyzer flip pop up to nose down with a flippy disc and then yeah. it crests over and drifts right. And fl- one of my favorite things that I've ever seen you do, it, it looked like you were throwing a toy Frisbee with a distance driver. <laughs> it was amazing. What geeks you out now when you, when you see somebody else throw a disc what impresses you? Because distance is like okay. these days, everybody, yeah, everybody has distance. You very, know very that competes. Good question. I haven't thought of that, but one thing that I recently was really impressed about was Eagle's sidearm on hole three, no hole four in European Open. He he throws sidearm like people throw backhand. Like he is just able to get a different power and angle on that shot that nobody. I have never seen anybody do that the way he does. Germ kind of has that backhand-ish mm-hmm. line, but it's still way more rounded. Eagle is way more straight at it, and it almost looks like like very hard backhand drive. It's crazy, and that's the thing. And for any anyone who's a newer disc golfer or you know just frisbee player in general, if you're an ultimate player or even if you don't play any of these, a forehand doesn't generate as much spin as a backhand does. You can maybe maybe get the acceleration close like i'm i bet release speeds are still not even close to backhand like backhand's like 80 miles an hour for eagle right eagle throws sidearm very similar like honestly sidearm is is up there it's just that it doesn't have enough spin for it to carry as far exactly so so that's the thing like a lot of people are saying like oh you know no problem just throw a sidearm on this if all the righties are throwing a backhand it's like well if the wind picks up the sidearm doesn't have enough spin to stay stable. So you, yeah. you really have to be good at generating spin and speed on a forehand. And I agree with you. That shot on four, what, what, explain for the people what kind of hole, okay, hole four so is at this it's, course. It's not that long. It's probably, would you say it's 550? No, it, yeah, it's a very, it's, it's, it's a pretty short par four. Yeah. So yeah, longest drives get kind of close to the basket, but it's still very challenging. It's not an easy part four. Like it's not an easy bird. Super tight tunnel. Yeah, super tight tunnel. You have you can to the left. Roller back and air shot, sidearm, mid range hyzer flip, and eagle cho- uh, chose to throw this laser beam hyzer flip to flat, like sweeping hyzer with his uh, cloud breaker. And it was just, he threw it so hard without hitting a single tree. Like, he could not have thrown it any better. Mm-hmm. And I was just, like, boggled. So, so you're you're more impressed now with, with sidearm uh, well, skill that, than backhand? Or is that just something that popped up in you? That definitely was one of the rare things for me that I was really impressed. Like, re- there hasn't been too many things recently that really make me think like that. Yeah. But also Eagle's pot 
Ricky's putt from far distance. Ricky's putt is one of those things when you see him practice putting Almost with six putters, mm-hmm. and he aims like from like sixty feet. He aims like way to the right, and they drive like dive into the basket mm-hmm. every single time. I'm just like, come on, like that's yeah. not fair. <laughs> it's 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 crazy. Um, some putting is actually getting weird right now. <laughs> putting is getting really good, and we have people that are like. There's players like James Conrad or Alex Russell that are jump putting from like 150. Yeah, and I don't get it. I yeah. think what I think Eagles can also he can jump putt from like there's circle two putting is getting insane. Yeah, and that that's I think you know we see I think top circle two putters are like 30 to 40 percent mm-hmm. usually. I we're we're gonna keep seeing that. We go are up. seeing even 100 percent pretty I often know. like from the top. I know, and it's <laughs> insane to even think about, and yeah. I, I don't even know what can be done to fix it. Like. Um, maybe I, I don't know. I think I think we should just let it evolve naturally because it's yeah pretty amazing to watch. But I think so. We can ma- we can always make tight uh, gaps tighter mm-hmm. and holes longer. So so you answered the sidearm and the putt. You're kind of the guy that sets in my brain. You set a standard for backhand shot shaping. And um, if anyone is here listening to this and you haven't seen stuff that this guy does. You probably should go do that because I I am very inspired by what you can do and and I guess I want to hear you, you dodged the the backhand for me and that's what I want to hear from you. What is what is like a holy grail of a shot shape for you for a backhand? Mm. Like what is one that you're like? That's it. That's like my like that's my the favorite. Cra- yeah, that's the craziest like most precise okay. line with a backhand. Well, currently I'm finding the most difficulty for myself throwing that mid-range super soft hyzer. Because any slight angles are always more difficult than bigger angles. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that sweeping, soft, touchy hyzer is actually very impressive, even though it kind of sounds pretty basic. Mm -mm. But that's one of the more touchy shots out there. But my, my favorite still that I always love to see is that that you said on hole 18 that I threw lots of hyzer super late flip at like 450 mm-hmm. and then it starts screaming nose down and then it like just dives and almost seems like it's still gaining speed it's it's one of the craziest things that I've ever I mean it's so funny when I look at the shape at 18 at Maple Hill I almost am a little suspicious that you designed it <laughs> that you that you designed the hole for yourself um you know Paul Macbeth did a similar line on hole nine. He showed me a video. He he was 60 feet short on hole nine at Maple Hill. He threw wow. an Avenger SS nose-up hyzer. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then he crested it nose oh, down yeah. at the top of the hill, and it flexed down the hill, and he was yeah, 60 feet short. Yeah, that's unreal. It's, yeah, and he went OB, but <laughs> he made, made a circle pot. three. But <laughs> it, that kind of stuff, to me, blows my mind. Like I love the, the, the meshing of the old-school finesse with the new school equipment and i want courses to match that yeah and you talk about baby heiser and baby annie that's way better than a sharp dog leg where an overstable driver it is yeah you know you can make a short i do a lot of course designs i've done about 50 and uh i do always if if i only have a little bit of room and i can make holes around 200 to 250 which is very common on the wooded courses in finland 
try to make those really slight those angles because that really makes the whole so much more difficult than mm-hmm. throwing either a big hyzer or a big any. Exactly. And I, I was actually, funny enough, I was about to ask you if you did course design because I just as your friend, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's my main job at Prodigy other than playing and making videos. Okay, so that's that's awesome. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. So I actually would love to play any course that you design because I know that you know what's hard. Yeah, you know you, I do. And... I'm trying to make them not only challenging, but really fair. That's obviously just as important as the challenging part. And also very beautiful because to me, that matters so much that so the course much. looks good. Because how many people, like what percentage of people playing your courses are going to be recreational players? Yeah. You, know, you want to create an experience for them yeah. as well. I love that. And especially on those more beginner friendly courses that are rather short, it's the most important thing is for it to be enjoyable for mm-hmm. the player because as long as they enjoy it, nothing else matters. Exactly. And they'll keep coming back. Yeah. That's amazing. So I, wow, okay, great. What I love is that you and I both share a love for Baby Heiser. <laughs> yeah. So I think our friendship just jumped up a couple notches <laughs> in my book. Um, dude, I, I, I've been really geeking out kind of talking to you because I know that you and I are, we've talked before about this kind of stuff. And yeah, just, we have. I love it. And I, I know that you're one of my favorite catch partners. So just know that you'll be one of my favorite people to play catch <laughs> with. A um, couple questions to kind of wrap this up. Okay. We're talking about three different types of future. I have, first off, what's the future for Seppo? Like, like what is, I asked Kevin Jones what his quote unquote end game is. And pretty much he said, I'm going to play until I can't play. <laughs> Yeah. And then I want to design some discs. You know, that'd be great. When your playing days at the top level are over, do you want to stay in disc golf? Do you yes. want to stay in frisbee? At least that's how I feel now. And that's how I have felt for the last 13 years. I have not had really any other industries or jobs in my mind. I have graduated from business school. I have, I, I'm part of Prodigy, owner, one of the owners. Oh, okay. We run Prodigy Europe. We have, good amount of employees so i'm already very stuck in the sport and but some some things that i want to do after i'm done playing myself is coaching one-on-one on on Mm -hmm. a certain player like not do it for a lot of people but actually be somebody's coach and possibly a caddy we don't have that yeah and i i share a similar idea and it would be passion. just amazing to be there when somebody's winning mm-hmm. when you're not able to do that anymore yourself mm-hmm. exactly and and you're and through that you watch the future of the sport progress and your knowledge of you know shot shaping or you know optimization of scoring is going to continue to get better so you can coach tons of people well it's uh I have realized that I've been playing disc golf competitively for 13 years and it's really all about experience or oh, not absolutely. all about it but it so much of it is experience like when i was 15 and i played 1044 average i was like this is it i'm on the top yeah but not even close it's you still gotta get so much experience on on tournaments and just everything but the main thing is to learn from all that and and use it in the future mm-hmm. because so often people play bad and they just forget about it but that's not really what you want to do. You want to learn from that, that mistake and use it in the future. Absolutely. My and, man. And, and 
why I said that was because that's something I could share mm-hmm. to a lot of people in the future so they could or to trust somebody yeah. who I, I would be coaching. Especially like, you know, it's it almost comes down to like a personal philosophy. Like we we love something so much and we and when you're a professional disc golfer, you care about yourself and you have to take care of yourself first, right? But eventually you're like, well, crap, I love this so much that I want to share it with somebody. You know, I want to share this love that I have with with the world. And I think it's an amazing progression that you have. So I, I respect. I'm gonna throw mm, five or six respect points to you. Cool. So <laughs> stash that in your <laughs> satchel. Um, second future question, and it might tie into the last one as well. 50 to 100 years goes by. Mm-hmm. We're clearly done. Maybe not. Maybe maybe Nico Castro is still playing tournaments. <laughs> <laughs> Nico might be on the top. Yeah, he might be the best Legends player yeah. ever. We don't know. Yeah. Um, and he'll probably look the exact same yeah. with gray hair. Um 50 years goes by, 100 years goes by. What is, what do Frisbee athletes look like? How are they throwing? What do you think is, is, is it going to change that much? Yes. I think we are extremely far from the limit. I mean, first of all, there is no limit, but. Which is amazing about the flying disc. Yes. That's what I love about it so much. Exactly. And yeah, we are just so far behind in athleticism compared to exactly quote unquote real sports like tennis ice hockey soccer it's just incredible how far we are like we're if they are 100 percent, we are maybe 30 exactly we're starting to get real athletes coming to our yeah. sport like you said we're not there yet no but then what happens when we do and courses get murdered more like Course design has to change. What, yeah. What's going to happen to equipment too? Well, for now, the equipment can't really change too much anymore. Mm-hmm. But I think we should be maybe PDGA should maybe widen the range of limits. Uh, I love you, Seppo. <laughs> just love you. Like just uh, maybe allow a little bit heavier uh, material to be used in mm-hmm. the rim or wherever, wherever, and. Uh, that would be one thing, but yeah, just players will have coaches. They will be better mm-hmm. mentally, physically. Time goes by, you know. Then, eleven hundred rated player will be out there. Yeah, and that's that's what kids see. Thing is, I I hope not. I hope an eleven hundred player rated player doesn't exist because that means the courses are still getting murdered. Yeah. Like, is it going to end up looking like darts where, like, no matter how hard the courses get, we're just going to see 18 downs routinely? Is it going to be like bowling where every single tournament there's a perfect game pretty much? Well, I think now our longest par threes are 500 feet, and probably in 100 years they're going to be 600 feet. Like, people are going to be throwing slight hyzers to 600 feet. Why not? For real. I'm in heaven just imagining <laughs> the joy. And they're going to be, here's here's my uh, approach game theory. We're going to go backwards in time, and people are going to be throwing lids. Lids. And landing them softer than we've ever seen on the on a dime at like two, two 300 feet. I think the one-speed yeah. discs are going to come back. We see Garrett Gerthy doing it with a Sonic, and he's literally putting them over a, a spot, and it's floating down to the spot. So yeah. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I agree. I agree. And they might be putting it in from a couple hundred That's feet. That's what I'm saying. The throw, like, throw in meta is going to push farther. Like, yes. And, and, and 60 I, footer is going to be pretty basic. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a cleanup. Not yeah. cleanup, 
it's a good pot in the future, but yeah. it's no special. Yeah, exactly. So I, I am, I'm glad that you share that idea with me because I think I think it's going to be so cool as long as we have designers like you getting out there with the experience you have designing courses that you know are going to be hard for the future of the sport. We have obviously amazing throwers now, but you know Paul McBeth is doing stuff with the frisbee that you know is setting a new standard but he's going to have people catch up to him yeah you know and it's going to push again tiger woods had people catch up to him Mm -hmm. and you know now we have this crazy new era of golfers but i think really that that kind of ties in i think the future of course design was really like the last thing i was going to talk to you about um and it sounds like you know what to expect yeah definitely i mean i recently watched this video about golf and they were talking exactly about this. And they said, like, the technology of the balls that changed at one point, like, everybody were like, is this it? Like, golf is too easy now. And they explained it that, no, they, all they need to do is put the tee box further. And that really what changed it. And that's, it's pretty simple, honestly. People make it more difficult, but just make the long holes longer and gaps tighter. And that's that's really it. It's pretty simple. Sweet. <laughs> I'd like to see some uh, 2040 Seppo Paiu courses. I, I can't wait, uh, given that my shoulder is not um, dust at that time. <laughs> but we'll, we'll see. But um, I guess the last thing I want to ask of you before I kind of wrap this up, and I've asked a few of my previous guests the same thing, um, I want you to speak out to the young kid or the amateur player that watches YouTube every weekend and sees the big tournament and it's like whoa like this is this makes sense to me how do they get to that level what what should they be focusing on mentally not necessarily physically but mm-hmm. what should what should their mindset be their mindset should be that they're doing it because they enjoy it i don't think it should be being professional or getting money from it i think it should just be that they enjoy doing it that at least worked for me and it still does. I honestly don't even think about money too much. Uh, but yeah, just enjoy it. Do it because you love it. That really is it. For me, I have found it in my past that whenever you're happy, everything goes good. And just try to be happy, know yourself, uh, allow yourself to be yourself in every situation. And yeah. Pretty much just find happiness and enjoy what you're doing. Everything's going to be good from there. My man. It really goes deeper than just basic things, just happiness and enjoying what you're doing. I've always said that golf was my best therapist that I ever had. It was, yeah, you know, yes. And, and, and let, let it teach you. Yeah. Let golf teach you. Definitely. And, um, dude, I, I probably could talk to you for a little bit longer, but we have... It, sounds, it smells like pasta cooking downstairs. Yes, there's that too. We have several different items coming up. I'm going to fill my belly with that, and we're going to put this up, and I really appreciate you as a human being. I'm happy you exist. And everybody, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you want. We're going to be on Spotify, Apple Music, you know, whatever you listen to it you know, now. Subscribe to that, please. And uh, yeah, I will catch you some other time. (laughs) Seppo, any closing words? Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, 
go check out my stuff. I'm on Instagram, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Thank you all for being fans of me. That really means a lot to me. I'm happy to be in that position. And uh, thank you, Brian. My man. I enjoyed it. And I will play catch with you this week for sure. Heck yeah. All right. See ya.